Welcome. You're listening to the Oxford Business Podcast of the Oxford Business Community Network. We're delighted to be at Story 94's wonderful podcast studio in Oxford, the only in Oxfordshire. So if you haven't been, do come and have a look, get in touch with with the team there. Today, I'm also delighted to be joined by Mike Woodward of Opera Anywhere, um, an amazing business, um, an amazing guy. So welcome, Mike. Hello, how are you? So well, so well. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Let's start by introducing you, for those who don't know you, and also Opera Anywhere. Well, um, we set up Opera Anywhere back in 2000 at the start of, well, to celebrate the millennium. It was quite a bizarre sort of uh, accident, really, I suppose Mm. you could call it. We were, my wife and I were uh, running an amateur opera company and getting a little bit um, frustrated with a lack of ambition. And we started thinking about setting up our own company. But we were kick-started by an uh, initiative in our village in Sunningwell where they were looking for a, a big event to celebrate the millennium. And the parish council at the time said to me, Mike, you know, just think completely out of the box. What In your wildest dreams, do you think how we can make a big impact to celebrate the millennium and we were really encouraged to be really wacky and completely think outside the box and we came up with this idea because in the center of Sunningwell actually Sunningwell was built around in the 8th century built around this natural pond right at the center of the village Mm. and um, in the 1960s I think for some reason they decided to put a concrete base in the bottom of this pond, I think maybe because it was getting a bit muddy, maybe, and just getting not visually attractive. So they put this uh, concrete base in. So the, the water levels are always quite high, mm. but it does give it a solid base. And we were aware of this. So we thought, well, if we really want to do something really wacky, let's build a stage in the pond and get the road closed and have all the audience in the road and also in the art school car park, which is adjacent to the pond. And we basically, we built this production all around this stage in the pond. And it was just a two night, I think we called it proms on the pond to begin with. And uh, we just had two performances of classical music. Uh, But this developed over the years into a festival of music and arts. And we had all genres, rock, folk as well as some opera performances but anyway on this first performance i said to uh, vanessa my wife blimey you can perform opera anywhere can't you and you know we're doing this in the outside at the elements with all the elements all around us we're doing it on basically we're doing it on water you can perform opera anywhere and that's how we came up with this name opera anywhere Amazing. What what a nice story. What a nice story. And something you touched on in your intro there from the amateur days is that you're getting frustrated by, um, I guess, the quality or, or, yes, or how, how yeah. serious people were taking opera. Exactly, yeah. Um, how how has that changed since 2000 or has it changed since 2000? Talk to the to the listeners a little bit about where where opera is across the UK oh, now. Okay. Well, obviously opera is big in the big cities in terms of the big opera houses like uh, the Royal Opera House in London and English National Opera up north in Manchester and Leeds, well Leeds actually Opera North have a a great big theatre and in Wales there's a great big theatre in Cardiff and Glyndebourne obviously down in the Sussex. Uh, hills and those are the big grand opera 
houses mm. uh, that people flock to every year throughout the year, not just in the summer. But there are a number of small touring opera companies mm. over the years. Uh, there was a, a company called Garden Opera that had been operating for about 10, 15 years and setting up uh, in small locations in people's gardens. But we've noticed over the last 10 to 15 years, this has been a real growth market. Mm. And people love opera in more intimate settings. Mm. They don't want to be lost in an audience of 2,000. Mm. They, they really uh, appreciate opera when there's perhaps only 200 people in the audience mm. or 100 people in the audience. And this is what I suppose has really uh, helped us uh, because of this growth in the market for more intimate community-based. And the other thing, of course, is who can spend... Not too many people are available to spend 100 or £200 pound on a ticket. With our performances and, and some of our competitors' performances, you'd only be thinking about 20 or £25 pound a ticket. Mm. So um, that makes opera much more accessible mm. to the man in the street. Mm. And, and also, if, they'd, if they're not really sure, if they've never been to opera before, uh, spending 100 150 quid on a ticket is quite a big risk. Mm. Uh, and we find that people come to us to see what, if they like it, you know. Mm. And um, as well as having genuine opera lovers or experienced opera uh, fans come to us because it's local to them and it's in their community, we also find a lot of people new to the genre. And the wonderful thing, the really wonderful thing that really warms my heart is they often bring their children. Mm. And their children, you know, as young as five or six, can be sitting on the front row absolutely gobsmacked with mm. all this music and drama and activity around them. So th this sort of community of opera is is really building and developing and it's it's tough times for the arts in general uh, and it's very it's a it's a business which is full of risk because mm. it's very often you 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 know you don't know whether you're going to get the audience numbers that mm. are going to help cover your costs. And also, obviously, with weather. Uh, mm. Last year, we had a great time in the summer, but mm. we boiled on stage because <laughs> we were exposed in the, you know, in the summer months when we were doing a lot of outdoor performances. In the year previously, uh, we've got wet, you know. Mm. So it's full of risk and it's full of uh, challenges. But at the end of the day, the British audience are wonderful and they'll bear with us, they'll... They'd be very loyal to us. They often sit in really bad conditions, <laughs> weather conditions, uh, as long as that you know they they know what they they're coming to. They'll come prepared with the right clothing and stuff. But we're hoping after last summer might not be good for the climate, but for in terms of outdoor theatre and music, uh, having these dry sunny evenings are brilliant from mm, our point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the things you touched on a little bit there is that it's been hard for the arts sector. And I, and I know, with, along with your wife, Vanessa, at Sunningwell School of Arts, um, you're both really big advocates, aren't you, of, of the arts locally, indeed of your support of, of the local parish and uh, the running club, etc., etc. So can you just share with those listening just a little bit about, I guess, coming up during COVID and coming out of COVID, of, of what have been the challenges and really Really where the business of arts is now? Um, yes, well, I think during COVID, the Arts Council were able to help a lot of arts organisations with a, 
they found some money. I guess the government had given them uh, a bit of money to help the arts to survive through the pandemic. Mm. And like every other uh, small business, we were trying to do things online and on Zoom. Mm. Obviously, with that doesn't really play to the strengths of live performances but at least it kept us going it enabled us to continue to employ our performers and we did quite a few things on, online on zoom and, and actually um, with the art school funding and, and some trust funds as well we were able to build some online resources which actually uh, helped us with our push into education mm. uh, and so you know some really lovely things and actually the Thames Art and Literary Festival filmed us uh, doing some live performances around Oxford. This is just after the lockdown was unlocked mm. and we went out into Oxford in a deserted Oxford with a number of our performers and we were able to perform uh, some things actually out in the streets and they've put this wonderful film together which we are able to publish on uh, on our website. And uh, so we actually came out of the pandemic in quite a good state and actually uh, a lot of the theatres that would have booked us for indoor performances were then thinking well how can we attract audiences just after the pandemic when they're still nervous so a lot of them have found outdoor spaces in their towns and cities and actually it really took off so mm. again that helped opera anywhere we're known for being thinking outside the box and prepared to do outdoor performances. Not too many other opera companies are, are prepared to do that. And uh, so that actually provided a bit of a spurt in the, uh, mm. and to help us all um, regrow and develop our business in a new way. Mm. So through this, we've discovered some amazing outdoor venues that have grown out of it. There's this wonderful, absolutely glorious venue in Suffolk, uh, which was born out of the pandemic. It was a farmer who created this amphitheatre out of this um, bomb crater from the Second World War that was in his woods. Wow. And he's made this theatre out of the trees that are all around. It's, it's still loads of trees all around, so it's still woods. But right in the middle of this bomb crater, he's made all the seats and all the surroundings all out of the local trees all around. And it's created this fantastic uh, amphitheatre where you can get three or 400 people sitting comfortably and with fantastic sound. Wow. wow. And it, it, it's truly inspiring. You're right in nature. And there, there are several of those kind of situations mm. around. Mm. And this summer, actually, we're doing an outdoor performance at the Cotswold Distillery in, um, in the Cotswolds. And so, so they're popping up all, all these outdoor venues are popping up all over the place. Amazing. Amazing. No, no, thank you. And certainly I think, I think the big word that was over everything during COVID was pivoting, wasn't it? And, um, yeah. and, and you've done that as, Being as flexible of, yeah. of, of, of venues. I just want to go back a little bit to, to the business side of what you do, because one of the things you touched on a few moments ago was sometimes the challenge of what you do is that you put on a performance and then it could rain or you put on a performance and how many tickets will sell. So how, as a business owner, do you mitigate that risk? Or do you not mitigate that risk? And how does that work from a yeah, business point yeah, of view? Yeah, it's an excellent question because at this time of the year, when we're just coming up to a really busy period, we've got about 40 events that we've just published the, the dates for. And right at the beginning of the season, so this is like in a couple of weeks' time, we've got some early performances 
And if we hadn't got the experience of the last 10, 15 years, mm. we would be stressed. I bet. But we know that even if you have several performances that don't go according to plan in terms of audience numbers, mm. that it balances out over the mm. season. And we just I have see. to keep that in mind. And you just have to keep faith because mm. it's so easy to crumble under the pressure. Mm. Um, and we know that this upcoming year is going to be our best ever year. Oh, wow. Amazing. Uh, we know that's going to happen. And we just have to believe it. Mm. We really just have to believe it and overcome, you know, if the next few performances don't match to our expectations, we just know that in the long run, mm. um, it's going to be okay. And we'll mm. continue. And we spend a lot of time talking to the Arts Council, trying to extract some grants from them. And we, uh, we try and get some trust fund grants to help buffer it. But it, Inevitably, we know that 95% of our mm. income will come from ticket sales. Mm, absolutely. One of the other things I know about you is that you're you're a big collaborator. So 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 you look to do things in the community, and I know that so something you did with Mike Foster quite recently is um, turn up in boiler suits and um, at his women and business event and, um, and 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 burst into opera. And um, I know that you do work with the show or Boathouse. And yes. how how, yeah. how have collaborations worked for your business? And why are you such a big advocate of collaborations? Well, I th we love collaborating with situations in people's towns in communities where they perhaps provide some amateur local singers to help bump up the chorus in situ in certain situations so with a lot of our productions there are a number of musical items that can be performed very well from an amateur chorus so mm. we we try and do that wherever we can we do that on a number of performances a come and sing type event so we use our professional uh, performers to actually perform the main roles but then we collaborate with mm. music societies and orchestras as well actually we we collaborate with orchestras around the country for doing joint performances but i think that what you're mentioning in terms of the charwell boathouse and uh, the corporate entertainment side that's a another strand of our business which we would love to try and do, do more of because um, mm. it it means that it probably takes a little bit of the risk out of uh, our overall business model. And so if you can get some corporate entertainment, if we get some corporate entertainment type, I mean, the thing that's all the rage and it has been very popular over recent years is singing waiters where you, you pop up in certain situations, mainly at a dinner after a wedding or a special mm. event, a black tie event. And, you know, we're pretending to be waiters. And then suddenly we create this incident where we suddenly pop up and perform a number of items. And one particular memory I have was when Theresa May was one of the guests of a big event. Uh, I think it was in, in Reading. This is about three or four years ago. And she was on the top table and she had loads of security guards all around. And we had to tip off the security guards what we were up to because they... Obviously, they don't like any, any shots. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So we, we actually, um, uh, there was f quite a few well-known people on that top table, uh, but Theresa May was one of them. And we created this incident between two waiters arguing about cutlery. You make a big noise in the middle of this dinner where everybody's being very well behaved. You make this big scene between two waiters and then you suddenly pop up to perform a duet. And it just so happened that we were standing uh, right behind Theresa May and the duet 
started off, oh, false one, you have deceived me. <laughs> so it was obviously out of context to the opera, but it really fitted in if you were wanting to criticise anybody politically or whatever, you know, which is actually Gilbert and Sullivan, that was a Gilbert and Sullivan item, and they were very kind of political anyway. So, it, you know, it all fitted in. And we had, a, I mean, the audience loved that kind of thing. And so we do a lot of that. Well, we don't do a lot. We like to do more. You know, that's a great, great another element to our business and um it's very enjoyable with charles botas that's something different again we perform opera on punts so we'll invite a group um we had a group last year of 30 people uh, spread over four or five punts and they know what to expect they know it's an mm. opera on punts type mm. event but it's a wonderful two or three hours along the river charwell with uh picnics and nice champagne and opera you know a very light accessible opera you know real popular favorites mm. so they're not gonna do any wagner to them or anything <laughs> you know it's just really popular stuff that sounds opera on a punt um at sherwell boathouse i don't think you can get more oxford than that I especially know. with a picnic can I know, you <laughs> I know. It's, it's wonderful it really is it's it is one of the my favorite things to do it's so it's it's just it's so escapist mm. you know you can just escape from reality for two or three hours so mike I, I think the other thing that i think is 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 really good for us to build on is I guess, really kind of the world of opera. So we spoke at the start of the podcast about opera's becoming more popular and it's on the rise. But how can people get involved in opera? So if somebody's listening and think, do you know what? I've always been interested in opera. I, I would like to get involved. How how can people get involved in, in opera? And, and I guess from yourself, it'd just be quite interesting to learn what could they expect from the world of opera and how, how do you go from having an interest to being an amateur to being a professional, which I presume would be near impossible for most people well i wouldn't say impossible i think obviously um it helps if you're young to start <laughs> i mean i came into opera very late and it's uh it's not easy for somebody like me but all our performers generally have gone to a music school um mm. or conservatoire and studied music mm. and performing and singing for several years mm. so um for me in particular i've come from a amateur background and then had to go on lots and lots of courses singing courses i have a regular coach that i go to see uh, regularly and um develop and the thing is about the voice you can continue to develop it and develop it and develop it and when you get to a certain age like myself uh, you have to be very careful about what roles you choose so these days I tend to choose obviously older roles uh, and comedy is my particular thing. But our, our young performers, in fact, the ones that we've got at the moment, um, there's a lovely new one that we've just employed who's, um, I think she's a postgrad in Manchester at um, the Royal Northern and um, she's on her third year postgrad if i'm right so she's done six years basically studying music wow. performing singing and that's the kind of training that you'd need to have if you want to do it professionally but obviously there's loads of amateur um mm. there's great oxford operatic society mm. uh, brilliant uh, abingdon operatic society brilliant and they don't do just opera they do musicals so that's another little route into the performing arts that is fabulous and these we're so lucky in Oxford because loads of these and there's youth companies, we're we're very rich in, yeah. the, in this area actually. 
and just sort of building on that. So if if you didn't want to do it professionally, so so just purely amateur and you were just really interested and wanted to learn, does some of these clubs be quite open? So somebody who's never oh, yeah. sang in their life, could you just turn up oh, and yeah. say you want to get involved? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, you can. Yeah, you can become a member of a society and they'll give you um, small roles in the chorus or something to start off with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, no, it's very accessible. The whole thing is... Yeah, amazing. Yeah. We have touched on Vanessa a couple of times, um, mm. uh, and I'm just uh, I always admire um, you both in terms of, of what what you do in Sunningwell. So I'm just quite keen for you to share to the listeners a little bit about the Sunningwell School of Arts, if that's okay. Oh yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure Vanessa would do a brilliant job herself, but, but let's talk on behalf of Vanessa. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So she's the admin director at the art school. And she keeps the place going. And the beauty of having the art school, uh, some employment with the art school is it's just down the road from where we live. Mm. And she's, I think she's 30 hours a week. Mm. Uh, But she can, in her planning, her time management, allow enough time to do the Opera Anywhere stuff as well. And, you know, there's quite a few weeks in the summer when the art school doesn't operate. There's two weeks right now at the moment where it's not operating. Uh, So it's very much sort of term time type activity so it fits in extremely well with what we're doing with opera anywhere Mm. so so the art school i know that from our conversation before during covid they they really really did pivot didn't they they did they did a lot of online uh they did a lot of online courses actually kept the thing going ticking over and managed to retain a lot of their students they have 400 students a week come to a course wow Um, they didn't all come on zoom but a lot of them did, and it kept the thing ticking over. Mm. The art school is 50 years old this year. Wow, wow. Now, it's amazing. Um, being an Aberdeen resident all my life, but before I met you, I didn't know it existed. And it, and it's yeah. it, it, it's fascinating how there's so such interesting businesses across Oxfordshire that are driving yeah. visitors to our local area. So, so no, no, incredible. And the other lovely thing about the art school, and, and especially during the pandemic, was that... The students are all, they're part-time, you know, so they do it because they're inter- they're, they're a hobby. It's sort of like a hobby. And doing something creative when the whole world is going a bit bonkers actually really helps the mental health. Mm. And it just, in fact, since the pandemic, it's, it's even mm. grown further because people have reassessed what they want out of life mm. and doing some creative things like pottery or art or drawing or, or any opera. of that, you know it's or opera you know it's sort of it's opened up people's minds mm. um to what else they could be doing and, and filling their days with no absolutely absolutely no re- re- really fascinating and um no fa- thank you for that we are coming towards the end of the podcast, but one of the things that I always like to ask guests is is really about advice. And you've been really successful in running a such a well-regarded opera business w- within the arts. And I think it's so rightly, widely reported how difficult it is to run an arts business. What has been your secret and what has been the reason that Opera Anywhere has built such a good reputation over the years? Well, I think we really rely on some really good young performers and our relationships with our performers have been really thought through and we really try and care for them. We don't, we're not going to be the highest payers Mm. in amongst opera companies, but they love working with us because we look after them. Mm. Our relationships with all all of them are really, really good. Mm. And we try and really, really look after them like this Mm. week. In fact, we're rehearsing a new production as we speak and we're 
taking them back to our house. We find accommodation locally and we take them back to our house every evening and look after them, feed them. Amazing. And tonight we're going to the Flowing Well in Sunningwell, oh, treating lovely. them to it. It's the last night of the rehearsal, so we're treating them. Well, that is unfortunately the end of the podcast, which is a real shame, Mike, because I could have spoken to you for hours um, and I'm sure there would have been lots more to cover. But thank you, Mike, for joining us and for your time. Thank you also to Story94 for hosting us at their wonderful podcast studio here in Oxford. And if you've not been before, please do get in touch with them. You have been listening to the Ox Business Podcast of the Ox Business Community Network. I really hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Mike. I certainly have. And please do listen to the next episode next month. <laughs>